So we're still in the middle of our holiday season, huh? How's it going for you guys? Great. Has anybody gotten sick? Yeah. Oh, and it's so good to see you here. Just uh, we share God's love, but we don't need to share the germs. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't want to get anybody else sick, but um, I'm so glad to see you guys here. No hugs today. <laughs> Maybe we could go around and say, unclean, unclean. <laughs> yeah, the holidays are tricky because uh, we load up on sugar and our immune system's kind of, you know, they're not working at their best. But it's still a good time to get together with friends and family and find excuses to, uh, to just give gifts to people, you know. <laughs> what a fun, too much eating. Uh, yes, too much eating. <laughs> We're going to continue on with our last study of the year, our last study of this year, 2018. Was it a good year for you? Yes? Awesome. Was it a challenging year for you? Yes. You know, challenging and good usually go hand in hand, right? Don't they? Um, without the challenges, it could just be ho-hum, you know? Without the challenges, we might not get to discover more of God's faithfulness and his goodness to us. Right? There's blessing in, in recognizing when God carries us through challenges. I love, I love God. I love him. And I trust him. And I've come to learn to trust his timing. God's timing is better timing than I could ever plan. You know, um, God's timing is just perfect, and that's what we're going to be studying about today. Our study is entitled, Appointed Time. Appointed Time. So if you'll open your handouts with me, we're going to be going to our first section. It's called, At Just the Right Time. At Just the Right Time. Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1. To everything there is a season, a time for everything under heaven. What a great passage this is. There's a time for everything. I mean, there's a proper time for everything. There's a proper time for my children to run around and play games with each other and be loud and scream and use up all their energy. But when we go to a nice restaurant and we sit down, it's not the time for that. There's a proper time to play and there's a proper time to sit down and eat your meal, right? There's a proper time for everything. Um, we look at the seasons, the changing seasons, and it's just interesting to see how in nature God has revealed himself and his purpose of timing, isn't it? You look at the plants, during the winter they wither and they're bare naked trees, right? And then out in the spring, the trees just somehow know it's time to start budding those those leaves again, and in summer full bloom, we get to enjoy the beauty, and it's always those same seasons, isn't it? Wouldn't it be strange if we had summer on a hot day, and there were no leaves on the tree? Where will you ha set your benig? benig? Yeah, where will you set your benig? You like to be in the shade, right? Sometimes you want to, it's just interesting to see how God has purposed everything. I, I was watching a, a documentary a docu-series, um, Planet Earth. Have you heard of it? So good, so good. And if you haven't watched it, you, you got to watch it. It reveals so much about God's creation. 
But one of the things that really spoke to me was the mass migration of the animals. The monarch butterflies was one that really stood out to me. How did the monarch butterflies know at, at that perfect point in time, the same time of the year, they will all travel a great distance, thousands and thousands of kilometers away, down to, is it Mexico and, and Southern California or Southern? One forest area down there. So down mainly in, in Central America, they all flock down there and you just see them covering every tree. And it is just a forest of monarch butterflies. How do they know that it's time to go? You know, something was designed in them that it's time to go there. How about the salmon? Right? When the salmon are going upstream and they just know they have to get up there. Who told them? You know, there's a perfect time for them to go up there and spawn and, and do the whole thing over again. And throughout the animal kingdom, we see this perfect timing through the different seasons at different times of the year. Sometimes it's not annually. Sometimes it happens once every 18 years or once every four years that there's this big thing that happens, and it amazes me. But God knows that there needs to be some sort of a balance in life, isn't it? There needs to be some sort of balance in life. And we learn this through nature. We can't have too much of a good thing all the time and expect nothing bad to ever happen. God allows us to go through hard times and he allows us to rejoice in the good times. You know, he allows us to enjoy love and he allows us to, to mourn loss. You know, and God understands there is a time for everything under heaven. Let's look at Romans Chapter 5, verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. <coughs> it says, at just the right time. Not a moment sooner, not a moment later, but at just the right time. In that very point of time, which the wisdom of God knew to be more proper than any other, Christ died for the ungodly. What makes any time the right time, according to our human understanding of good timing? You know, what, what makes us think, wow, this is it's a perfect time for this to happen, you know? We rely on our own human understanding, but we think it's the right time because it benefits us, Right? That was perfect timing. You know, I had no more money in my account and someone gave me a check. Perfect timing. You know, I was out of socks and at Christmas time somebody gave me socks. Perfect timing. For guys, you know what I'm talking about. Socks at Christmas time is like that's the gift of the year. Okay. <laughs> and you use it for another year. Perfect timing. But how does God define the right time? I mean, if Jesus came a year earlier or a year later and died for our sins, do you think it would have been the wrong time? To us, we're probably thinking, well, it wouldn't have really mattered that much as long as it happens, right? But to God, remember, he has his plan. And in God's plan, everything works out perfectly. And perfectly means according to his plan. It doesn't mean oh, I'm going to experience this perfectness, right? It's God's plan. And are we seeing that God isn't able to plan things properly? <laughs> when God sees that something works out 
according to his plan, then it is the right time. And Christ died at just the right time. What does 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 say? Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Okay, who's with me here? It says, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. And you're like, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to humble myself. And we're waiting on God, and we're praying, and we're praying, God, help me with this, help me with that. God, I, I, I really need you right now. Why aren't you answering me? And it's kind of like, is God hearing my prayers? Is he answering my prayers? Humble yourself under God's mighty hand, and in due time, in proper time, in God's time, at the appointed time, God will lift you up. Humble yourself and wait. When we grow impatient, our impatience reveals that we are no longer humbling ourselves under his mighty hand. Our impatience reveals that we're not trusting in God's time and his plan. So we become prideful and, what's that word? Entitled. Oh, there's that word. Everybody say entitled. Okay, don't be that in the new year, please. <laughs> okay, <laughs> do not be entitled in the new year. Because when we, when we act entitled, we cannot humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. Okay, if you want God to lift you up, trust that he will do so at just the right time. Sometimes that means he'll allow you to go through some hardship. Why? Because we still have lessons to learn. Sometimes he'll allow us to wait on the very things that we're asking for. Why? Because he wants to make sure that your heart is starting to be turned the way that he wants your heart to turn. And in perfect timing, believe me, friends, you will know the answers to, God's pr to your prayers from God. Okay? The question is, are you able to trust in God's timing? We could say, I trust God, right? And we pray to God and say, God, you know, I prayed for this. Just please give me patience, but hurry up about it. You know, we're, <laughs> we're rushing God. Are you able to trust his timing? This is a tough one, isn't it? We're entering a new year. And, you know, I, I've come across so many more people that as we approach a new year, they're not excited about it the way they used to be a couple decades ago. A couple decades ago, yeah, you know what? I have New Year's resolutions. Yeah, you know what? I have a plan for the next year. Now it's kind of like, oh, 2019, okay. You know, we're sitting cozy. We don't really care. We're not even making plans anymore, you know? Why are we doing that? We're not looking forward to anything. We're just kind of taking life as it comes. Maybe we're tired of being disappointed. Or we're, maybe we're tired of being a disappointment. Hey? We think that it, we, we say we don't like being disappointed, but the truth is we're afraid of being a disappointment. Okay? But it's in our disappointments that God makes his appointment with us. It's when we are failing and when we need help that God makes himself so known to us. Because if we feel that we don't need God, we're not going to be looking at him. You know, we're not going to be meeting with him. And if we're not looking at him, how could we trust him? Here's a little story. 
And this is our lesson today. It's about Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. Okay, now I know we've probably read the story. We've studied it here together a few times. But let's go through it again. I find so much in this. You can study this on your own. Please do so. And take the handout with you. Genesis chapter 12 to 22. That's a lot of chapters. So we're not going to read through all of it today, but that's where the story is found. In Genesis chapter 12, we're introduced to this character, Abraham. Okay? His name then was just Abram. And here God tells Abram, Go from your country, leave your father's household to the land I show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. So what did God tell Abram at this point? I will make you into a great nation. There will be many that come from you, okay? You would be the father of all this great nation, and I will bless you. So Abram was still probably a fairly young guy at this point. He was already married, so he had to be at least 30, right? And Abram and his wife Sarai, they go and they start their life together. And a few years pass after they're together, and they have no children. And Abram remembers the very words that God told him, No, I will make you a great nation. And Abram is leading his wife Sarai, and he says, I know what the Lord told me. And Sarai, being very faithful, sticks by him, you know. But they have no children. Sarai starts to wonder, How? How is this possible? How are, you going to be, how are we going to be a great nation if we have no children of our own? See, God's covenant with Abram would be that his heir would be his own flesh and blood. It wouldn't be through adoption. So it means his son would be born from him. Okay? Sarai gave her Egyptian slave Hagar to sleep with 86-year-old Abram. 86. Okay? So they waited that long, no child, trusting that there would still, God would be faithful to his word, that they would be made a great nation. But Sarai says, how's that going to be? I'm, I'm beyond the age of childbearing, okay, but here's my slave girl, my Egyptian slave girl. Take Hagar, sleep with her, and she conceives. So wouldn't that child growing inside Hagar, wouldn't that be Abram's flesh and blood? So in their human understanding of things, well, maybe this is what God meant. Maybe it will be through Hagar's child that you would be made a great nation. Unfortunately, after Hagar becomes pregnant, she starts to despise. She starts to despise Sarai, right? <laughs> My daughter's so chatty today. Yeah. Sarai, she starts to blame Abram. Whose idea was it for Abram to sleep with Hagar? Sarai's. And Sarai says, here's my girl. The girl gets pregnant. The girl starts to hate Sarai. And Sarai goes, Abram, look at what you've done. I'm miserable. This girl hates me. She's pregnant. I have nothing. And she hates me. You know what Abram tells her? Sarai, she's your slave. Do with her as you see fit. So Sarai starts to mistreat Hagar, enough to the point that Hagar's like, I am not taking this anymore. I'm tired. I'm pregnant. I did what she asked, and now she's treating me like this. She leaves the camp. She runs away. She cries out to God for mercy because she's out there. What's going to happen to her? 
Sarai blames Abram for the wrong she suffered because when Hagar became pregnant, she despised Sarai. Since Hagar was her slave, she mistreats her. An angel of the Lord meets with Hagar and tells her to return to Sarai and submit to her, and God would increase her descendants. God still has a plan, even for Hagar. Even though this was Sarai's plan, God was still able to work with it and make it part of his plan, you see. He tells Hagar, go back, humble yourself under your mistress, and God will increase your descendants. Eventually, Hagar goes back to this loving family. (laughs) And a few years later, about 13 years later, Abram and Sarah, well, at this point, they are Abraham and Sarah. They are visited by three visitors. And the visitors tell Abraham, where's your wife, Sarah? Oh, she's over there in the tent. She's preparing things. He goes, okay, let me tell you this. They didn't know that Sarah was standing at the opening of the tent where they were. And Sarah could hear everything that they're saying. And they said, at this time next year, your wife, Sarah, will give birth to a son. Sarah quietly laughs to herself. They don't realize she's standing right there. <laughs> These guys are crazy. What are they thinking? Abraham's going to be a 100-year-old dad? Are you kidding me? She goes, I'm way too old for this to happen. And then one of the visitors says to Abraham, why did your wife, Sarah, laugh just now? Why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? The visitor said, is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son at the appointed time. See, God could have brought up Isaac at any point in time. He could have opened up Sarai's womb long before, but he waited decades and decades before finally granting them what seems to be impossible. I have a question for you, friends. Is there anything in your life that you've been waiting on God for? Have you ever faced a situation that seems impossible? And then I ask you, is there anything impossible for the Lord? when we don't trust and we can't see it and we lean on our own human understanding of things. When we laugh at God, it says, I don't trust you. What you say is never going to happen. I'm sure we've acted like Sarah in our life before, haven't we? When things aren't going the way that we expect them to, We're like, thanks, God, I pray to you, but I am tired of waiting. I need to make this happen, and I'm going to make it happen now. So you go out, and you scheme, and you try to do things, and for a while, it seems okay. But eventually, when we get in the way of God's plan, something's going to bite you. Something will bite you. You ever get that feeling that this is too good to be true, and you're enjoying the moment right now, but you're also waiting for that other shoe to fall? You're waiting for something to go wrong, to just ruin it all. When we know that we're doing things in our own strength, and our own power, and not trusting in God, we could scheme and try to make things happen. 
But friends, God's timing is perfect. It's better than any plan you could ever come up with for your own life. Okay? We tell our students in high school, you're going to be in university soon. You should choose a career path. What are you going to do with your life? You always hear adults asking young people, what are you going to do with your life? Oh, I don't know. I'm not really sure. I haven't decided. Maybe when I get to school, then I'll decide. I'll just take general studies for now. You know, I'm just going to waste my time for a little while until I find what I really want to do with my life. Maybe the young people are onto something. Maybe the young people are onto something because I'm not saying this is the best attitude to carry. <laughs> okay? But they wait, they don't get in the way of their life. The thing that's lacking is they have no vision for the future. They have no vision for the future. We can have vision for our lives. We could have a picture, but that picture doesn't have to be so hard, you know, and inflexible. Have a picture. Make your plans in life, but be flexible, okay? Make your plans in life, but follow where God's leading you as you work toward that plan. Sometimes plans change, don't they? We're facing a new year. Do you have plans for the new year at all? No? Maybe you're planning a, a short weekend vacation. What, what is A staycation? Yeah. I like staycations. You know why? They're less expensive. <laughs> you stick around. Sometimes plans change. This holiday season, I was supposed to be in Florida with my kids and my wife, and we just wanted to bring them down there and take a road trip. But something happened in the middle of the year after I told my whole family. I told our extended family, hey, we're planning to go down to Florida for Christmas this year. You know what happens? Throughout the year, my boys started to destroy our home. And our basement was covered with like, there was flooding that occurred in our basement. We live in the basement. There's flooding from the kitchen that started to come down. And there was mold starting to grow. And we're like, this is really gross, you know? And holes in the wall. And our life was just a mess. And I said, there's no way I could justify going to Florida, bringing my family there, when we're living like this. So instead of going to Florida, I said, listen, we need to uh, start cleaning up our house. We have a new baby, an infant in the house. We need to make sure she's growing up in a condition where she's not going to be breathing mold all the time. So we ended up renovating our house. And I said, I don't know where we're going to get the money for this renovation, but it's something we need to do. Okay? This is how I'm taking care of my family. So we start the renovations, and more and more, me and my dad, like, the deeper and deeper we got into the do-it-yourself renovation, <laughs> do-it-yourself, it really felt like we were doing it ourselves, <laughs> right? It's a do-it-yourself renovation. The more and more we got deep into it, we're like, wow, plans change. We have to rethink how we're going to do this. And we keep changing and changing. But along the way, I'm like, I'm trusting the Lord that this house will not fall down <laughs> because we live in the basement, right? Imagine we're renovating the basement. Imagine things coming down. And I'm praying to God, please, whatever it is, I'm trusting you, Lord, that you will provide I'm trusting you that you will help us in our time of need because that's what God promised. In your time of need, he hears you. And I was like, Lord, 
I'm giving up Florida. I don't really need it. You know, it, it would have been a nice thing. But right now, Lord, I just care about this house not falling down. Okay? I believe God heard my prayer. I really do. Because not only did the house finish and everything was beautiful and now we have a, a clean space to live, but he also provided the finances at just the right time so that my credit cards didn't have any interest on it. I was like, Lord, please, you know. Amen. It's a real testimony, I'm telling you. You don't want to carry that burden and that weight. Oh, man. But then, but then I realized, hold on. Lord, there's so many other things I want to do now. I still have good credit. I don't have any interest. Is it possible that this is your way of saying I could take my family on vacation after all that? And then I looked at my bank account, and guess what? There would be no money for us to take a vacation. Okay, there would be no money for us to take a vacation. It's interesting, though, because God gives us just what we need at just the right time. And it's what we need, not what we want all the time. I needed to make sure that my family would be kept safe. That's not a want. God wants to protect his children. God wants to take care of those that he loves, right? So I, that was my prayer. God, you love me. You love my, my family. Please protect us from the house falling down. Okay? And he gave us what we needed. And I could trust that. So I was praying to his, his agenda of things. I was praying to his heart because I know that the Lord loves those who love him and he takes care of those who love him. Right? So it's okay for me to pray that prayer, isn't it? Because I'm aligning with God's will. But then later I said, God, I'm planning to take this trip. I'm planning to take this trip. And would you give me the money that I need to go take this trip? Guess what? He didn't give me the money. He did not give me the money. In his wisdom, I've come to learn to trust that. God's timing is perfect. And if, if I'm getting in the way of God's plan, he's going to make sure that I won't do anything to screw it up anymore. Okay? When you humble yourself under God's mighty hand, it means you get yourself out of the way of God's plan. You don't bring your agenda and put it in God's plan and say, bless this, give me this, I want this, God, be my genie and do the work, make it happen. Right? That's not how it works. To humble yourself means you remove all those desires that are not according to God's will and you get it out of the way of God's plan. And then you stand there empty before him and you say, Lord, I'm learning to trust you. I'm letting go of everything else that I put my faith and my trust in. All my desires and everything else I've hung on to, Lord God, I'm putting that down at your feet. I'm empty before you. Have your way in me. Can you do it? Trusting in his timing. I could argue with God and say, what do you mean you're not giving me a vacation? I work hard with my kids, and I, I need a vacation. <laughs> Did you know that traveling with my family is very stressful? And I've come to trust God. Yes, Lord, you know that if I go on this trip, I'm going to be stressed. And he saved me the stress. It's stressful traveling with children. It says that sometime later, back to Abraham and Sarah, sometime later, Abraham was tested. Abraham was tested. 
He was tested when God came to him and said, listen, I want you to take your only son, Isaac. I want you to take your one and only son, Isaac, and bring him to the region of Moriah, and bring him up to the mountain which I will show you. And when you get there, you will prepare him as a sacrifice. What? I waited decades and decades for God to give me the promised child, and through that child out would come this great nation? Hold on. I finally have my child, and I'm waiting for God to be faithful to his promise, but now God wants me to take him and sacrifice him? How much longer will I have to wait? Will there be another child that God will give me so that the great nation will come up? Imagine the questions that started going through Abraham's head as God asked him to do this. But Abraham didn't complain. We see none of that in the story. Abraham wasn't questioning God. What did he do? Come on, Isaac. Carry these things. We're going up to the mountain. He didn't tell him what was going to happen. Okay? But he said, come on, Isaac. Follow me. Take up these things. And we're going up to the mountain. And up there, they would worship God and prepare a sacrifice. When they got to the top of the mountain, Isaac starts putting down the, the stones to build this altar for the Lord. And when everything is said and done, Isaac looks to his father and he says, Father, but where's the animal that we're going to sacrifice? Wow. <laughs> Talk about digging your own grave without realizing it. The promised son was going to be the sacrifice. If I was Abraham in that moment, I don't know. My faith would be shaken. Here's my child that I raised, that I love. He's a promised child. And he looks at me and sees, he says, Papa, but where's the animal that's going to be sacrificed? I'm sure he looks at his son. His heart must have been breaking. Come here, son. And his son was so obedient up to this point, wasn't he? So obedient. He didn't know what he was walking into. But he loved his father and he obeyed his father up to the point that he was laid down on the altar. I'd imagine Abraham would have had to bind him to keep him in place. Binding up your beloved son, laying him out on the altar, having dagger in hand and lifting it, and at just the right time, stop a voice comes to him. Just as he was about to plunge the thing that he loved most, stop! And then God provided another sacrifice. He said, Abraham, you have been faithful. Abraham, you trusted me. Abraham, you obeyed. And I see now that you were willing to give up that which you could love the most but I see now that you truly love me. And friends, we are all going to go through experiences like this with God, where we will be tested with the things that we love the most. Are we willing to sacrifice and give up the things that we love the most because we love God more? That's faith, you see. I love this story. It's so full of many things because it showed how Abraham... And Sarah took matters into their own hands, and they realized our way doesn't work. 
We have to learn to trust God again. And then they learn to trust God. And they wait a little bit longer. And when everything's good and great, God's asking me to do what? Are you still going to trust God even when it doesn't make sense to you? See, they didn't have the Bible to look at to reveal God's character the way we do now. We have all their stories and everything that they went through and how God acted during those times to reveal who God is and how he works. We could read story after story in the Bible and see how at the appointed time, God works all things together. At the appointed time, God's plan always comes through. I trust that God's plan is one that never fails. I trust that God's plan never fails, no matter how bad things might seem to get. You keep hanging on because his plan will prevail. So as we enter New Year, friends, are you going to go according to your own plan? Or are you willing to submit your plans to the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. Have your way in me because your way, your way is best. There's so much about this story. There's so much that we can learn through these stories. I want to talk about something called the vision of God. The vision of God. And one thing I forgot to mention during the story about Hagar Remember that time where she ran away? Well, there was another time after Isaac was born and she was cast out. And she pleaded with God because you know what? It was just her and her baby, or not baby anymore, her and her child out in the world, out in the wilderness. And she's pleading with God. And there was something in scripture that's very important about what Hagar said. Remember, women mentioned in the Bible, very important. The fact that they were named and mentioned in the Bible, there's something we learn from their story. And she says this one thing. I saw the one who sees me. After she learned how God blessed her, after she learned how God is taking care of her, even though she was an Egyptian slave, I see the one who sees me. Hagar. To have a vision of God, to have sight of God in our life, just like Hagar. She wasn't an Israelite, she was an Egyptian slave. And even she was able to come to know who, how God is in her time of need. A vision of God, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has placed eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work God does from beginning to end. No one can find out the work God does from beginning to end. But he makes everything beautiful in its time. The proper activity at the right time, bringing about God's purposes, is a beautiful part of God's overall plan. It shows his genius and his wisdom. We may be ignorant of God's timing, but we are called to enjoy life in the present and trust in God's sovereignty. I borrowed this from Oswald Chambers. Have you heard of Oswald Chambers? And there's this beautiful book, a devotional that many Christians read. I hope that in the new year, you would include this to be part of your plan. 
It's called My Utmost for His Highest. And it's just daily tidbits, but it will really help you reflect on your journey with God. And it, it just revolves around all these beautiful scriptures, passages through scripture, and help us understand it more deeply. To have a vision of God, to see what God is doing and in his perfect time. We might be ignorant of God's timing, but we are called to enjoy life in the present. Who's enjoying life today? Yeah, finally. You know, I asked that once before a few years back, and there were a lot less hands that went up. You know, it doesn't mean that you're happy all the time, right? But when you have that faith in God, knowing that you're still going through stuff, you can enjoy the present no matter what your circumstances are. Okay? And trust in God's sovereignty, that he is above all things. Hebrews 11, verse 27. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. And this is talking about Moses there, right? Having the vision of God is a source of patience because it gives God's true and proper inspiration. A person who has the vision of God is not devoted to a cause or to any particular issue. Again, a person who has the vision of God is not devoted to a cause or to any particular issue. He is devoted to God himself. He is devoted to God himself. I know many Christians that join organizations or they join anything that's going on because I'm living for this cause. But what happens if that cause is not according to God's plan? They feel that what they're doing is a good thing. But friends, if it's not according to God's plan, it's not a good thing at all. It might seem good in our human understanding of things, but is it a God thing? You know, we've done things here at Connections Ministries in the past, joining certain causes. And, you know, I believe at the time we were prayerful about the different ministries that we would partner with and we would help fund certain projects throughout the world, but it had to be done prayerfully. Why? Many people came with opportunities for Connections to help support their cause. But in God's wisdom, as we submit to God, he gave us the sight to see, is this one that we ought to join? Is this one that we ought to invest in? Is this one that we will partner and walk alongside with? At the time, uh, these opportunities might seem like a good thing to do, right? But God knows where the real needs are. God knows how he wants to use this ministry to reach other people for his glory, not for Connections glory, no, but for his glory, okay? Many churches have their projects in the community, and they want to do something to help the community. Why? To give their self a good name so that they could be seen, so that people would be drawn to their church and say, I'm now part of this church, and they don't see how God is working in that because it's just about being part of that church? Well-meaning Christians 
time and time again fall away from the path that God's putting before, him, before them. They see things and think, that looks like a good thing, let me go over there. And they walk out of God's plan for their life. And they join with something else that seems good, but it might not be of God. The enemy wants to distract us, and he'll do it because he sees your love for the Lord. He doesn't have to distract those that don't love the Lord because he already has them. But if you love the Lord, you watch out. The enemy will dangle carrots in front of you and say, this is what God wants you to do. Come over here, like leading a child with candy away from their parents, away from the safety of that, that house. The enemy wants to take us away from the Father. And we, being like dumb children, follow. And we're not kept in that safety of God's plan anymore. We lose vision of God because we set our eyes on something else. Okay? It might be a career. It might be because you were lonely and you don't want to be lonely anymore, so you go find somebody else that will fulfill your loneliness, friends. Only God could satisfy that, lonely, that loneliness that you are experiencing. You might have temporary satisfaction when you find someone you could share your life with, but for a moment. But those moments could be stolen from you. They could be taken away. That too will pass away. Don't set your heart on temporary things. You kill yourself for a dream job. And when you don't get the dream job, you crumble. Why? Because your heart was after that thing. Friends, God allows you to suffer loss for one reason, so that you could see him again. He's going to take away all the things that are blinding you from seeing him. And it's up to you. Do you want to curse God in those moments? Guess what? You're still talking to him. You might have forgotten about him, and he says, at least you're talking to me. I did this because I love you. I wanted to take that away. I've been with my wife for about 10 years. 10 years ago, we got engaged. It was this week, 10 years ago, that we were, we were happily engaged our first week. But during that week, it was one of the worst weeks of my life and one of the best weeks of my life at the same time. Was, uh, we got engaged before Christmas, and everything was going great. And then Christmas came around. And after we spent our first Christmas together as a couple, it was beautiful. And then the next day, something came up. Something that just ruined us in the moment. All I knew is one moment, we were engaged, happily, ready to be married. And the very next moment, we were no longer engaged. She said, this changes everything and we were no longer together, and she was sitting right there. And in my spirit, in my soul, I was cursing God. Up to that point, I remember I was praying to God, help me make sense of this, this is my friend, I love her, what am I gonna do, she doesn't like me, you know? And God gave me the strength to stay on, and, and finally I, I, I'm with the girl that I love, and God removes her from me so that I come back to him, and he tested me to make sure you said that you love me, Tim. You said that I was first in your life. But I'm going to take this woman out of your life for a moment. Because you are starting to go blind. You are starting to not see me anymore. You said 
have your way in me. So God says, let me remove her so I could have my way in you. And God reminded me before my life with Bev could even start, God comes first. God comes second. God comes third. And until I see God in every moment, he will not stop peeling all that stuff away from my life. He won't stop peeling it away from your life. If you are seeking him, friends, be ready for a lot of loss because you have so much more to gain when you come to know him. We say, turn your eyes upon Jesus, and you're turning, and you're like, okay, where are you, Jesus? You're too blind, right? You need the, what do you call it, that LASIK. <laughs> you need LASIK to get rid of all the fog in your eyes so that you could see clearly, right? And God will do that work for you to help you see clearly again. Be devoted to God and God himself, not any other issue. Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 3. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Through, though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. The proof that we have the vision is that we are reaching out for more than we, all, we have already grasped. Again, the proof that we have the vision is that we are reaching out for more than we have already grasped. It means you don't have it yet. Okay? It is a bad thing to be satisfied spiritually. Again, it is a, a bad thing to be satisfied spiritually. Have you ever gone to the buffet? Yeah, right? And you eat with your eyes. You see all the good that's out there. Wow, there's so much to enjoy. And as you do that, you load up your plate. You sit down and you enjoy it for a while. You go back and you load up again. Second plate. And you keep eating. At some point, you are satisfied, but you go back again anyway, and you keep eating, and then you can't take any more in, but there's so much good, right? But you were satisfied a while ago, physically. Physically, your hunger was satisfied. What happens then? You stop eating, right? Same thing spiritually. There is so much of God that is freely given to us in who he is, when you step into his kingdom, it's like walking into the world's best, not the world's, walking into heaven's best buffet, okay? And you walk into God's kingdom, and he's like, I have all this good laid out for you. Don't you get satisfied. Don't you get satisfied because I need you to hunger for this. I need you to thirst for this. I don't want you to become spiritually lazy and fall asleep because you've taken in too much. With God, never be spiritually satisfied because you will stop hungering after him. Okay? Our reach must exceed our grasp. Paul said, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. 
If we have only what we have experienced, we have nothing. You know, a lot of us Christians today, we talk about this is how I've experienced God. And then we say that's who God is to me. And we put God in a box and we stop getting to know him. We try to convince everybody else that me and God, we're okay because this is how God sees me. And we, we just take it like that. We don't realize that we're satisfying ourselves spiritually by trying to say, I don't need more of God right now. We're good, right? But if we have only what we have experienced, we have nothing because God has so much more. But if we have the inspiration of God, we have more than we can experience. Beware of the danger of spiritual relaxation. Again, Oswald Chambers, not me. Okay. I love his writing because it points us to God's truth. It doesn't end with him. Everything that he writes about in that book, it's pointing us to God's truth to help us start taking it in, taking in God's word and digesting his truth. Okay. I love this last verse in our section. He works all things together. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God works all things together for good. Both for his good and for our good. Right? As God is glorified, his people benefit. This is about God's goodness and our confidence that his plan will work out as he sees fit. Do you remember the story of Joseph? It's a favorite story of mine. <laughs> the story of Joseph, he didn't see what was happening ahead of him. You could read about his story on your own time. His story starts in Genesis 37 and read it up until the end. Take some quiet time with God and read through Joseph's story. And just see how God met Joseph at just the right time. Through his journey, we see pockets of how at the appointed time, something happened. And Joseph's life was taken from the shepherd boy. He was hated by his brothers. His brothers sold him as a slave. They wanted to kill him. But instead of killing him, there were some people at just the right time that came by on their camels and purchased him so he was saved from death and sold as a slave instead. And although he was just a slave, he was brought to this place and he was made a, a manager of, of a man's home. And while he's there, the manager trusted him with his life, so not, not so bad, right? And then his wife, the, man, the, the man's house, his wife gets to Joseph and says, listen, I want you. Sleep with me. And Joseph says, no, I don't want to sleep with you. You're my master's wife, you know. And he did the right thing. And then the lady lies about him and he ends up in prison, right? And at just the right time, while he's in prison, he meets two guys, right? He interprets their dreams for them, right? And while that happens, he said, don't forget about me. Surely enough, one guy was freed and he forgot about Joseph. But then something happened in the kingdom. There's a king. He's having dreams. He needs someone to interpret it for him. And at just the right time, Joseph was brought back to this guy's mind. And he says, wait, I know a guy, 
right? That could help interpret your dreams. And, and Joseph comes out of prison, and now he's second in charge of all the land, right? And God elevates him and lifts him up at just the right time. Why? He humbled himself under God's mighty hand. He didn't try and make life work for him, but he humbled himself. Just like Hagar didn't go out and try to make life work for her. She, the Lord told her, go back and humble yourself under your master. And good things will still come to you. So friends, no matter what you're facing, you, the world tells you, you need to make your life work for you. There's a saying that I've grown to hate because it's misused and it tells people the wrong thing. It says, you do you. Have you heard that one? Go on, you do you. We say it so lightly because it's a cool thing to say. You do you. That means life is about you. Life could be whatever you want it to be. You don't have to change yourself for anything. So you do you. But God says, lay down your life. Give up your life. Count it all as loss. And everything I have for you is yours. Forget you do you in 2019. I say lay your life down before God. Bring yourself to the foot of the cross every morning when you get up. Thank God for his faithfulness and his goodness to you. We always want God to be faithful to us, right? But I challenge you in 2019, will you be faithful to God? Hey. Lay your life down before him. And allow God to fill you with his wisdom. Allow God to fill you and flood you with his mercies and his blessings every day. As you come to know more and more of who he is and the plan that he has for your life. He won't show you all the cards. We just have to take it one step at a time. Trusting in him every step of the way. We keep in step with his spirit. And he will lead you and guide you in all good things. And surely goodness and love will follow you all the days of your life. Amen. Let's all stand. <clears throat>